no more defenses. Our army is wiped out. Artillery, air force, everything wiped out. This may be the last broadcast. We'll stay here to the end. Welcome to Media and the End of the World, but first, a reading. It's, it's poetry time, friends, So, and we're just going to hear a little bit here, but let me share this with you. This is called Pale Fire, Canto One. I was the shadow of the waxwings slain by the false azure in the windowpane. I was the smudge of ashen fluff, and I lived on, flew on, in the reflected sky. And from the inside, too, I duplicate myself, my lamp, an apple on a plate. Uncertain the night, I'd let dark glass hang all the furniture above the grass. And how delightful when a fall of snow covered my glimpse of lawn and reached up so as to make the chair and bed exactly stand upon that snow out in that crystal land. So there. So this is the... <laughs> yeah. No one was expecting I, that. No one was expecting that. So uh, what, what what I thought it would be a good it's starting... It's beautiful, by the way. It is really... It's, and, and it's it's also a little bit... Uh, the, the, the... Gosh. All right. So Vladimir Nabokov, who I love, and I was really actually reading a um, New York Times book review from December recently, and there were three separate articles where they were kind of making fun of Nabokov. And I think this is, I think the world has turned on him Mm. for a short period of time. It'll always turn back. I used to actually be really good about forcing myself to read. I didn't have to force myself, but I would set aside time to read a Nabokov novel a couple times a year. So I've actually read quite a bit of his stuff. And uh, Pale Fire is something that um, is, so it's a novel. But when you pick it up and look at it, what you get is an introduction, a poem, and then notes for the poem and an index. So it looks like a piece of literary that. criticism. Yeah. And what it's actually about is a poet named John Shade, who is uh, being written about by a professor, Kinboat, um, who is a really, really big fan of John Shade, loves him, been studying him and everything like that. And as you read the, I'm going to ruin this now for you, so tune away if you're going to read it. But as you find out, as you read through the novel, that Shade is actually responsible for the death of the poet that he loves so much, oh, wow. as it turns out. So the first figure you get in it with this paragraph is this idea of a bird flying into a window. You know, it sees the sky extending through and smashes into its own reflection and, you know, dies in the real earth and continues on in the reflected sky. So was this uh, the... Uh, the impetus for Stand by Eminem. Do you think this is this was <laughs> the literature that you that inspired him to to write a similar song? I, well, I think the the thing that I think is cool about this that I like in in when when you start doubling things, when you start having like the uh, story within a story type yeah. stories within stories, and then doppelgangers, yeah. right? The idea that somewhere on the planet is another Adam Crew. There's mm-hmm. another Adam Crew on the planet. Oh, I, I this I have a good story about the other Adam Crew. <laughs> well, okay. 
Let's, let's hear it. Oh, sure. Well, no, <laughs> yeah. because so, I have a thought, but you should tell okay. me about the, the yeah. other Adam well, Kroom. Well, there, there's another Adam Kroom who happened, well, he's he has left academia, thankfully. Um, but he <laughs> he uh, was a, he did his graduate work at the University of Penn. Shout out. What if the other Adam Kroom is listening? And, he, like, and, and we've now publicly acknowledged that we know each other. But the reason I know that he exists is because we're always fighting for the same username, Adam Kroom. <laughs> and occasionally, like, I'll get, like, a you know reset password a, a request from chase.com and i know that other adam crew is out there he's out there stalking That's right, you. yeah but he uh he he was the uh previous owner of adamcroom.com uh but let it go you know as he decided to leave and, and you academia swooped in. i swooped in and got like and a got vulture it. Right, right and you bit the head off the other adam crew <laughs> yeah so uh yeah we i i don't know if he follows me but i i certainly keep up with what's going on with him well the, the you know the the, the story about Don doppelgangers was that if you ever actually bumped, and I have no idea if this is, you know, I'm sure this, if you ever actually bumped into him and made physical contact with him, then the fabric of the universe would be mm, shred, yeah. right? So now this is an interesting question uh, that's perfectly appropriate to media and the end of the world, because of course, if you did touch the doppelganger, end of the world, all that, <laughs> but does that count in the digital, right? Like if you actually right, like right. come into contact, if you had a conversation on Twitter or something, yeah. like that, would that do it? Oh, speaking of which, yesterday, oh, this is my life is so awesome, like for 12 hours and then it's going to go back to its <laughs> usual awesome. Awfulness. So yesterday, oh, I, I would have to look this up. You know who Robin Hitchcock is? Uh-huh. So um, I was uh, looking online at Twitter, like I do whenever I sort of am brave enough to actually see a little bit of what's going on in the world. And um, I actually uh, came across a conversation that had gone on between um, Robin Hitchcock. It was. You, do you know what the, uh, Werner Schwarzog is? No. So Werner Herzog, the film director, somebody has is, has a Twitter feed called Werner Schwarzog that does these hilarious um, um, kind of vamps on on the way he comes across in his documentaries, which is you know kind of like world weary and cynical and and you know that's kind of the persona he he presents himself with. So um, like he so yesterday he posted. I'm trying to see if this has the whole string in it because it'd be really funny. Uh, last night he posted, um, oh gosh, he's already got something from today. That's amazing. Anyway, it's always very funny. Um, like fool me thrice and I build a secret volcano base, right? <laughs> Six followers are enough. <laughs> So there's there's a lot of digital wisdom in what he says um, that, I, that I usually like learn a lot from. Um, so yesterday he had posted, um, oh, where is it now? I've lost it again. Um, Twitter is stupid like hope. And then Robin Hitchcock had posted something in response to that. And then I posted something in response to Robin Hitchcock. Mm. I got liked by Robin Hitchcock. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So that's a great feeling. I am so. I was so. Just you know, it's like cool. I saw and and I saw Robin Hitchcock once play with. There was this um, the band Big Star had an album called Third, and all the all the the people who know about this just went, oh yeah, because yeah. it's like it's one of those things that it's not an album a lot of people know about, but everybody who knows about it started a band basically, and they broke up. You know, uh, they didn't record much, but but their third album, which didn't wasn't released while they still existed as a band, really in their first incarnation. There's a group of musicians who do these performances of the album. They do a concert performance of the Big Star third album, and I actually was lucky enough to see a performance. 
that had, you know, members from R.E.M. and Yola Tingo and the Posies and a bunch of other bands. And they, you know, because it's all, it's Alex Chilton, who, if, when he was a really young kid, did the song uh, The Letter, right, with the box tops. And so they did a cover of this in the performance. And if you remember in The Letter, there's an airplane noise, an airplane taking off in in the middle of the song, got me a ticket for an airplane, Ain't got time to take the fastest train, right? I'm not going to sing it because we all don't deserve <laughs> that. But but so when they got to the part of the song where the airplane is going to happen, Robin Hitchcock pulls out an electric hair dryer and puts it up to the mic and turns it on. And it sounds exactly like an airplane. It was beautiful. So anyway. That's interesting. That's I was Robin um, Hitchcock digression for the day. Yeah, I was. I was. I'm going to go way back because I feel like I'm four references ago now. <laughs> but um, I, I, have you ever played with like Twitter analytics, like looked at impressions of your tweets or whatever? The the tweet that and I, I can't pull it up on uh, on analytics quick enough to to give you the exact numbers. I wish I I could. Um, but the. The, the tweet in which I've had like the most impressions is like one time I replied to Edward Snowden uh, um, and I don't think he recognized it at all. Right. Uh-huh. Like nothing happened. Um, but I think just because so many people um, have an affinity for him, probably have a dedicated feed to everything that mentions Edward Snowden. Um, it, you know, I got I got more impressions off of that one tweet than I, I've probably got ever. Mm hmm. Um, what were you just out of curiosity? What were you communicating with him about? Let's see. Let me see what it was. I, I can look that up pretty quickly. Uh-huh. I feel like. Yeah, that seems like something that would be an important uh, piece of communication. Let's that would see. be a good thing. All tweets that reference Snowden. And so you've been writing a lot Akron. of tweets about. I don't know. Snowden. No, one time. Oh, okay. Oh, so basically, oh, he. Uh, I was criticizing him for ripping his tweet off of uh, someone else. Actually, is what it was. So he had, you shamed him. You shamed Edward Snowden. Yeah, I guess so. Um, so he had basically made a reference to a Kanye tweet um, that Dave Itzkoff had, uh, of the of the New York Times had made like the day before, and so I basically like called called him out for ripping it off. Uh, in which he didn't respond, but I got a lot of <laughs> impressions. Apparently, <laughs> that's it. That's the only time that I've, I've felt necessary to reply that's, to someone. But but it's a great follow uh, Twitter account to follow. Is uh-huh. Twitter? I don't know if I do. I'll have to check to see if I do and, and yeah. add him onto the list because I've always found his. Uh, I mean, I think probably my favorite moment was the uh, the magical appearance on um, John Oliver's show oh, yeah. when he yeah. went to Russia and, and interviewed him. And, uh, you know, he's, I mean, he's a very controversial person and all that, um, understandably so. Um, and of course, a lot of the warnings that he was making, um, the, you know, the, a lot of the, uh, um, a lot of the political abilities that the government has to surveil us go on. They keep on getting reauthorized. And, um, so, you know, so the struggle goes on to try to get people to understand how vulnerable they are. Probably one of the lessons that the two lessons everybody needs to write kind of get in their heads about the digital world. One is nothing is ever just yours and goes away. Right. And the other is every piece of technology you have is going to fail, right? Your hard drive that's got all your pictures of your child is going to fail. And so you have to anticipate that. And these hilarious conversations with people is just sort of like the the people who back up are the people who have had a drive fail on them. And Mm -hmm. they're like, oh my gosh, I just lost 
years of stuff or whatever. Yeah, I don't know so. if I've ever talked about this on this podcast, um, but actually, so uh, when I was in college, I had a college radio show on the wire here at OU, uh, which was called The Local Hour, and I brought in local bands to play and did interviews and happened to bring in um, one of my best friends who had started a band, played some of his music, uh, did an interview with him. We also called his mom live on the air, which is pretty funny to do. <laughs> Um, but we, uh, at the time, you know, we would record all of the wire shows on an SD card and I would put those on podbean.com and, um, and anyways, long story short, uh, my best friend ended up, uh, passing away and that audio recording immediately became infinitely more special, right? Because here's something where you could listen to him talk for, uh-huh. uh, an hour, 90 minutes, however long it was. And in fact, I would get messages from his family members that they, you know, would go to sleep listening to this recording uh, uh, of him basically talking on this radio show. Anyways, um, you know, I graduate from college and never really log on to podbean.com. And uh, while my account doesn't ever get deleted, they basically erased all of the files. And I think they did it when they, they, they moved servers. Uh, um, and I've contacted him multiple times over the years, you know, can you please find this? Cause I, I have no backup of this, you know, at anywhere uh-huh. because at the time, however large the audio file was, was significantly, was pretty large compared to what laptop hard drives were. Cause at the time I think I had like an 80 gigabyte, you know, hard drive mm-hmm. in my laptop. Um, so anyways, I became incredibly careful about like all of my photos are on multiple external hard drives on Google photos on Flickr. They're everywhere, right? Like I've got redundancy of redundancy, Uh but the problem is, is I'm probably the only person who cares about where they are, right? Like in, in the event that I pass how, you know, who's going to, who's going to recover all of that Mm -hmm. sort of digital data. And so I also like, I wonder like, while I feel more comforted by the fact that things are, uh, redundantly stored in multiple different areas, um, you know, does that mean anything past my own, my own comfort? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's sort of like thinking about what the uh, what the remnants are going to be, and and in a way, there's a little bit of a Zen thing in there about being able to just kind of cut loose and and let it go. Yeah, because yeah, it's you know the the my my, my big failing was the fetishization of music, mm-hmm. like you know, because I spent most of my time in record stores when I was younger and worked in record stores for a long time. So the one foot square vinyl record cover with the record inside of it was just a holy object. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, and in uh, in the moves that I've done over my life, I finally got to the point where I said, OK, I can live with the digital versions. I can get rid of these vinyl versions and got rid of, I don't know, a couple thousand albums. Wow. I mean, just a lot of stuff. And um uh, I mourned it. <laughs> I, I mourned it bad uh, because sometimes I, you know, I, I want to be able to just hold that one yeah. foot square thing. But then again, once you know it's gone, you kind of go, OK. You know, I can yeah. I can certainly survive I, this. I I buy vinyl, but I won't just buy a record that I like. Like I will uh, very very rarely will I just buy a record that I like. Mostly, I'm buying stuff that I'm collecting. You know, so it's a very limited release or something that means something a little bit more special to me. Yeah, um, that's that's when I'll get a physical copy. I was j- uh, joking with a faculty member yesterday who was, you know, <laughs> wanted to, to talk to their students about. Uh, having to merge his iTunes library with his wife. And I was like, see, your problem there is that 
students have don't care about iTunes library. <laughs> right. so, like, it's all streaming now. Yeah. So they don't even even that kind of idea of, of it, ownership is something that they probably don't. Right. And uh, expecting sympathy to. is going to go nowhere. No, you're no, just no, you're no. just done already. Um, but back to Edward Snowden. Okay. <laughs> I, I did want to mention um, I remember watching a couple different interviews with him. Um, one of which was a Katie Couric interview in 2016. And I have to say that guy is like one of the I don't I don't feel like just because he's so secretive that he does a lot of interviews, but he is one of the most well-spoken persons I've ever listened to. Like, I feel like the guy would do really well as a politician, you know, because he, he, he can speak very eloquently and everything sounds like a little soundbite. And it sounds like he's thought through every little detail of every word of every sentence. But yeah, I can't imagine like he has a lot of people to talk to, <laughs> you know, uh, in his, in, in, in his, in his world, uh, in Russia. Yeah. That's yeah. And I, that's an interesting thing. Cause he's kind of in, in a way kind of disappeared off the yeah, off the radar screen. Speaking of the radar screen, Uh-oh. if are we do we, anything more on Mr. Snowden no, that we that's need all to, I got. to so so we have the I, I wanted to talk a little bit about a report that came out. Uh, it was a Knight Foundation Gallup survey of nineteen thousand Americans, and um, the way that um, the way that uh, what they were focused on was trust media and democracy. And uh, just to, to review a little bit of what uh, – and you can find this online if you go to the um, Knight Foundation or just search under American Views, Trust, Media, and Democracy, and you will find the 71-page report that they have as a result of these. And um, it's there's just really interesting stuff in here about how American culture feels about its media environment that I think is really interesting. So the key findings. Americans – this is one, the first one. Americans believe that news media have an important role to play in democracy, particularly in terms of informing the public, yet they do not believe the media are fulfilling that role. Um, and there's, you know, eight and 10 adults believe the news media are critical. At the same time, Americans are more likely to say the media perform these roles poorly. Uh, second finding, America believes that it is increasingly harder to be a well-informed citizen. Americans' perception of the news media are generally negative, and their perceptions of bias have grown considerably from a generation ago. The, the go, going back one step to the Americans believe that it is increasingly harder to be a well-informed citizen. I thought this was – it's kind of a simple statement in a way, but I think it's really profound in a way of thinking about the media environment that we're in. And – I would think that, you know, there it's sort of like asking, it's kind of like the question, you know, is the country going in the right direction? And I can't think of a time in my life I would not have said no. You know, it's just mm-hmm. always, you know, because there's, you know, you think about things going positively and then there's so much else that's still kind of like broken and needs to be fixed. And so I think that that in some ways is is a good way of, of understanding the public perception of the media, um, that, that the media has a lot that it's doing really well, but there's so much more that needs to be fixed and that ends up kind of writing the story in a way. And this is, of course, starting to interpret what the survey results are, but we can do that. That's why we have this right. podcast. Yeah. We have this podcast to take a look at these sorts of things. The interesting thing that I thought was inside of it was that they felt like there was an overwhelming amount of stuff they have access to. And that's what makes it so much harder to sort it out. And I think that's a really interesting problem. I was wondering what you thought about that. So um, the reference point that I have in my head, um, have you ever seen the clip of John Stewart on Crossfire? Oh, 
Yes. Yeah. It's yes. It, it's it's it is. And we'll link to this. We'll also link to the 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 research report uh, in the show notes as well. Um, but for for the uninitiated, Crossfire was this show um, on CNN um, that let's see when it ran. Oh, it ran from eighty two to 2005 and then again from 2013 to 2014 that's really interesting so john stewart comes on the show in like 2004 as the guest and the concept of crossfire is that uh we have one person uh from the quote-unquote left and one person from the quote-unquote right right or just people that just don't like each other that kind of take different sides i don't know if necessarily it was always left versus right or um or liberal versus conservative but um it was certainly that the show was an argument and i I made a special effort to come on the show today because I have uh, privately amongst my friends and also in occasional newspapers and television shows <laughs> mentioned uh, this show as being uh, uh, bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and I wanted to, I felt that that wasn't fair and I should come here and, and tell you that I don't, it's not so much that it's bad as it's hurting America. <laughs> so I, I wanted to but come here today let me, and say, wait, wait, no, I just, no, let me, here, here, here's just one, what I wanted to tell you guys. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> stop, 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 stop hurting America. Okay, now. Let me, and and let come me, work for us because we, as the people. How do you pay? The people, not, not well. Better than CNN, I'm sure. But you can sleep at night. See, the, the, the thing is, we need your, your help. You're, right now, you're helping the politicians and the, 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 the corporations, and we're left out there like to mow our lawns. You just said we're too rough on them when they make mistakes. No, 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 you're not too rough on them. You're part of their strategies. You're partisan, um, what do you call it, hacks. Wait, Sean, wait. Like, and hold on, hold on, and I think the interesting part of the show is it... it, it it didn't allow you to necessarily come to it to a, a realization of what was necessarily the truth, right? But it allowed you to choose a side. Like it became competitive, and it was like you you got to choose a team, right? And so, um, so I think that is where the problem has got with news uh, or with media is that people are are much much more interested in rooting for teams uh, than they are necessarily going for truth. And the more that we've politicized, you know, this, this entity, the failing New York times is a, this type of new, you know, media organization or Fox news is this, um, the, you know, the, the more people are interested in, in, in less interested in right and wrong and more in just, uh, you know, justifiably picking the right type of media in which they're consuming. Right. Because you have to make a turn once you've come to that conclusion that what would be the arbiters of a version of reality, whatever that is. Yeah. And I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about the memo, um, at some point in this, in this show and dang, I've already got an idea. go back to Snowden because I really want to what Snowden thinks about this memo, right? Uh, coming from a world in which, uh, uh, you know, he was basically, uh, uh, I mean, he's no longer allowed in the country, you know, because of leaking information from the NSA. And now we have the president wanting to basically release information, you know, a, a top secret document from the FBI. But anyways, uh, you know, back to back to whatever, we, yeah, we, whatever we, we'll point I was trying to make was uh, one thing that's been interesting about the memo. Uh, and this is this is a really interesting thing to think about is uh, Geraldo Rivera told Sean Hannity um, that. Basically, you know, if if a Hannity had existed in the early 70s, you know, Nixon probably wouldn't have been forced to resign. (laughs) 
<laughs> Did he say this on Fox? Yeah. To Sean Hannity? To Sean Hannity. Wow. It's basically, here, here's the power in which someone who's been able to basically, uh, you know, by all cost of, uh, you know, no longer feeling like they have to follow truth, but really have to follow their team, um, you know, uh, has, has done this. And what was the... What was the big Sean Hannity uh, meme uh, uh, last week? Oh, uh, last week it was the, the the one where he, at the beginning of the show, the the the, the story had come out about uh, uh, Trump attempting to fire Mueller and uh, Mueller in that's June, right. and um, then he and Trump said it was fake news. Hannity said it was fake news at the beginning of his show, and then forty five minutes later said that. Fox News had confirmed that that had happened, and here's a car accident. <laughs> yeah, but we don't have time to talk about that. Right? Uh, we'll, you know, we'll 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 give we'll give time for that tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, it's just so so the so the 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 I, I would really strongly encourage folks to take a look at this at this Pew report because I think it's got some really interesting things to say, and not just take it at face value, but think about how the media environment's changed and what it means to. Um, it's it's sort of all right. So. You know the band Perubu. I'm really going for obscure music today. <laughs> so uh, I saw Perubu play in Chicago many years ago, and David Thomas, who's the lead singer for Perubu, comes out and he shakes his head at the audience and he says, "There's just too much music. There's just too much of it. We need to stop making music." You know, which was really kind of a profoundly weird thing to say as your band is about to launch into, you know, an hour and a half of really kind of bizarre music. But, um, but, but, but I think that there's something interesting in that we've all, I think, most of us who are privileged enough to have access to lots of media have had the experience of being overwhelmed by choices, right? Yeah. And so, um, um, America's so good at that. America's so good at finding yourself standing in the soup aisle saying, which kind of soup should I get? Because there's hundreds of choices, right? And you're standing there staring and you have no idea what to do. There isn't enough of an impulse to make a decision. And that's essentially what's happened with our media environment, I believe, is that there is there's a there's an amazing amount of really good information out there. And there is a proportionately high amount of bad information and corrupt information and manipulated information out there. And so the big pile of it just looks overwhelming. And people, I think, to, to what you're characterizing is I think people shrug and go, you know, it's a lot easier for me to just say, I agree with this person. What are they saying right. now? Yeah. And, yeah. And I think there's a little bit of FOMO that comes in the the abundancy of media, too. So um, I've referenced before, you know, a, a frequent conversation that my wife and I will have if we were having dinner with another couple is like, so what are you guys watching, you know, uh, on Netflix? or you know, what's your guys show right now? Uh -huh. And often what, what which I don't you know, uh, I don't I interested, you know, but I'd say maybe 10 percent of the time we're watching the same thing, you know, very rarely. And that just like we feel like we've struck gold if we're both watching the you know both couples are watching the same shows at once yeah. um but often we'll, we'll come into what we're watching and the big oh no no i don't even want to hear it because we have <laughs> filled you know we, we we've already you know blocked out what we're going to watch for the spring <laughs> and it's this this and this and we don't have any more time so don't tell me anything else that's good out there in the universe like because i you know we we know what our what, what we are consuming and this is this is the space in which it occupies our, you know, our decisions and the same kind of a situation, our decisions are often generated by the impulse for how much do you want to be thinking right now? Yeah. Like, do you yeah. want to do you want to be thinking, OK, we'll watch the French serial killer cop 
thing that's got a lot of exactly. reading. Or, yes. yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy yeah. too, yeah. right? Yeah, and a lot of our conversations, I mean, we, we, we'll put down our little girls, you know, and I am, I'm, I'm usually mentally and emotionally exhausted by the end of the day. Um, and, uh, like, I'm, I am... You know, not not necessarily into like it's not like yeah, let's start up. You know, fire up season four of Black Mirror right now. You know, because it's not not necessarily the the mode that I'm in um, near my usual TV viewing time. Which brings me to a topic that I wanted to talk about, if it's okay. Sure. To, okay, so um, big event that's coming up in a week. Do you have any idea what it is? Uh, no. Somebody. The first question I got this morning was, "What did the groundhog say?" <laughs> I'm like, no, I have no idea. I don't know. As far as I know, groundhogs don't talk, but but it was, uh, yeah. Anyway, so. Yeah. No, what event is coming up? Yeah. Uh, does, you know, do, do we live in a world where we're allowed to, to believe the groundhog anymore? Right. <laughs> um, so the big event that's coming up uh, a week from today is the Winter Olympics. Oh, Yeah. But okay, that, but that is not actually what I want to talk about. Okay, what I wanted to talk about is the, you, did, you did bring it up. I just like to point out that you don't want to talk about it, but you did bring it up. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because okay. it's 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 uh, it, it, it it helps make my joke uh, better. <laughs> okay, <laughs> of what I actually do want to talk about, right. which is what CBS is running in competition with the Winter Olympics. Do you know what CBS is running in competition? I have n- to compete. I with have it? no idea. The first season of Celebrity Big Brother. Really? Yes. And what I what I would like to do is I, I want to walk through the cast and see how many people from the cast of Celebrity Big Brother you've heard of. Okay. Now you have to keep in mind that I am I I'm not a consumer of the reality television world in that way. But, so I was hoping for that. I, yeah. You are about to hear like big buckets of dumb. So okay. Well, I, you're gonna no. You're gonna get a couple of these. Um. Yeah. A, a, a few of these you you will never heard of. But I, I um there are I think there's eleven. Celebrities. Okay. You want to put an over under on how many that you think that you can? I think I'll know eleven. I'll know four. Four. That's, I think that's, a, good, that's a good line. That's okay. a good line. Um, I'll take the under. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Amorosa. I I know Amorosa. There you go. Um, um, Amorosa was was fired from being on the White House staff and, and, and immediately picked up by CBS. Physically removed. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that should be interesting to have Amorosa uh, on on camera twenty four seven. You know, with live feeds and <laughs> and TV shows and stuff like that. Because um, you know the concept of Big Brother is that they're living in a house. Uh, they are there now. This is going to be a shortened version. This is usually like a hundred day type season. Celebrity Big Brother is only going to be eighteen days, so it's a very compressed. Uh, but but they are going to do twenty four seven on this. They are going to yeah. be well, streaming it. Yes, they will have live feeds on. I, I imagine there's going to be a lot of blackout periods. Uh-huh. Uh, it's not going to be a full twenty four seven because they don't they don't stream like the the competitions or anything. Well, are they allowed to bring alcohol into the house? They will give them alcohol occasionally. Then there will be blackout yeah. periods. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, next, uh, Mark McGrath. N- Mark McGrath. That sounds vaguely familiar, but I was reading about serial killers last he night. He was so. uh, he was in a band very very popular in the late '90s, Sugar Ray. Yes, uh, yeah. So and then he became a face. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He uh, so the the you know their big hit um, was on a was on an album called 1459, uh, which is a reference to 15 minutes of fame. So a bit <laughs> good bit of irony that Mark McGrath has made on Celebrity Big Brother. Okay, uh, Shannon Elizabeth. Um, gosh, that again, 
Oh, this is a struggle. It's, 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 this is going to be painful. It's going to be all the way downhill from here. Uh, so Shannon Elizabeth, most known for her role in American Pie, um, yes. was also in the scary movies. Right. Um, yes. Okay. Uh, became a professional poker player after that. So you cite a piece of media and then you say the name yeah. and then, and then you, click. Yep. Right. That, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's not, uh, not a super familiar name, but as soon as I, you know, mentioned who she is, it's like, oh yes, I know exactly who that is. Uh-huh. Um, Ron Artest. The basketball there player. There you go. Meta World Peace. I was, I was, I was yes. debating of which were, or which name I should, I he should used give. To do, he used to do news reports on Key and Peel that were hilarious. Oh, they would really? Give him a little slot where he would do like the news. And it was, you know, this is the news of the Meta World Peace. And it was hilarious. <laughs> That's funny. I didn't know that. I'll have to, have to check that out. Mm-hmm. Um, Brandy Glanville. Nope. Yeah. She was a, she's a real housewife. So that, that one makes sense. Uh, uh-huh. uh, James Maslow. Uh, he, uh, isn't he the one who came up with Maslow's hierarchy <laughs> of needs, right? Yeah. The moral development guy. Yeah. He was in a, I think it's a, it's either a Nickelodeon or Disney show called Big Time Rush. Okay. I would just um, like to mention that from here on out, I'm just going to make stuff up I like and it. pretend I yeah. know who these people yeah. are. Um, uh, uh, I, I never remember how to pronounce her first name. Uh, hopefully you know this person, uh, Keisha Knight Pulliam. Keisha Knight Polium. Yes. No. I think it's Keisha. It's not Kesha. Uh-huh. Uh, she played Rudy Huxtable. Okay. Um, so I said I was going to make something up, and then I thought better of it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Marissa Jarrett Winokur? Nope. Hairspray? Okay. Uh, I don't know how to spell it. Say her name either. And she's going to be someone who, as I when I mention who she is, you're, you're going to definitely remember this happening within pop culture, but you're, you're not going to know who... Uh, Ariadonna Gutierrez. Uh, nope. Okay, so she was the one who was Miss Universe in 2015 for like two seconds. Steve Harvey announces her as oh, the winner of Miss yeah. Universe, and then announces that he had actually made Unless a mistake. It was actually Moonlight that won. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so she is La La Land. <laughs> she is La La Land. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Uh, two more. Two more. Okay. Two more. And we've known. How one, am I doing? Have I done? Uh, I think I got one. two. Oh, you got two. Yeah, you yeah, got, got Omarosa two. and Metaworld. But I think piece. you're going to win with the under here because there's only two left. So <laughs> yeah. I got to get both of these, and I'm not going to get both of okay. these. Okay, Chuck Liddell. No. Okay, he's an MMA fighter. So <laughs> that's rough. Um, and Ross Matthews. No. Also known as Ross the intern. Nope. Okay. You had to be a Jay Leno fan to get that yeah, one. Also no. a judge on RuPaul's Drag Race, uh, if you're a RuPaul's Drag yeah. Race fan. So there you go. Well, I think and, and th- I think that there is a lesson in this, which is, number one, I am totally out of touch with like celebrity culture, and that's pretty clear, right? But the other thing is, and I was going to mention this before, um, when I was thinking, when we were talking, when you were talking about being able to watch shows simultaneously with people, blah, 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 mm-hmm. that, that, that kind of fragmentation effect is a really interesting thing because then I find myself sometimes having conversations with people where I'm like, well, of course you've seen, and then you mention a film and they're like, sure. nope. Yeah. And what, but then you saw blah, and like, nope. And, uh, <laughs> and then, you know, and with students, I often have this, so the conversation goes like this. So 
what's like the oldest film you've watched? And they go, um, Breakfast Club. (laughs) (laughs) And, and that's, I've had that conversation so many times. It's disturbing. It's like you get a free copy of Breakfast Club when you take your baby home from the hospital and then you get to show it to them a couple of times. Like everybody has seen, and they think it's like sociology. They don't even think it's entertainment. They think it's, you know, because it, it becomes this kind of way of thinking about, uh, about culture. But I think it's just really interesting how people make those choices. So you've got the fragmentation of the whole history of these media, right? Um, and then you've got the fragmentation of what you spend your time doing or the stuff that's just online. So mm-hmm. the whole world of, you know, online celebrity. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, my, my problem is, and, and I've wanted to, I've never committed to this, but I'd really like to watch like the, you know, the list of the top 100 films mm-hmm. in order. The problem that I have is um, being someone who also likes media criticism. Like I want to, I, I want to contextualize everything in which I view, right. And read about it and right. and, um, and and that just seems like a lot more effort than that I'm willing to put in. <laughs> um, and I don't like long movies, you know. And 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 top 100 lists I like to have movies, yeah. you know, that are that are over two hours. And I'm I'm a 90 minute kind of guy. Well, there's also the, the you know the the problem that there is not like an absolute top 100. Right. So. Um, I remember that the Sight and Sound magazine, which is a, a, a British film magazine, had historically important ways, and, and they do this. I think they do it once every maybe 10 years. They do this. They collect all this criticism of what are the most important movies ever, and there was this really controversial point where – because usually what's on top are things like Citizen Kane and um, – I don't know, Wild Strawberries or, or some other Bergman film. And then there's usually some uh, Akira Kurosawa film um, like uh, Seven Samurai or something like that or near the top. And then there's usually a Hitchcock movie up there somewhere. And the last time they ran this, Vertigo moved up to number one. And it was just like, wow, Vertigo mm, wow. became like, you know, the, the, the number one most important film. See, that? I mean, that's actually a li- a pretty impressive to me because I don't follow those lists as much as I follow like, you know, the the 500 greatest albums of all time by uh-huh. Rolling Stone. And I feel like there's so much of a biasness ter- towards... Um, uh, the early classics that I, you know, um, yeah. And then, well, and then there's people like, if you go, I'm just, I was just looking at the AFI list, which is the American Film Institute, 100 years, 100 movies, 10th anniversary edition. Um, and of course this is American film. So it's already like closed out all of the other mm. international stuff. They've got vertigo at number nine, uh, Schindler's list at number eight, Lawrence of Arabia at seven. Speaking of long films, mm-hmm. that's a that's a commitment. <laughs> Gone with the Wind uh, at number six, Singing in the Rain at number five, Raging Bull at number four, Casablanca at number three. What do you think is at the top? Take a guess. Mm, Godfather. Guess? Godfather's number two, and what's number one? Oh, um, what are we missing in this usual suspects list? I don't know. What are we missing? It is Citizen Kane. Okay, yeah. 1941. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that's that's yeah. The, the number one. So, But it's always interesting, again, it's sort of like people who are, and of course, depending on where you, you, know, you come in and what you have access to, 
Um, this is a very, I mean, these are very ambitious, important things to do to sort of like, but, 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 but I also am not necessarily a canon believer. The idea that there's a set of books or a set of films or a set of albums that you just absolutely have to blah, 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 because what that automatically does is privilege certain perspectives and not others. Yeah. So my guess is if I go through, I'm just seeing if there's, um, you know, as I'm looking at this, of course, this top 100, I am probably not going to find anything directed by anybody who's not a white guy. Yeah. I'm, che- I'm just checking down the list to see. Uh, Fellowship of the Ring is at number 50. Um, I'm going, going, going. It goes down. Yeah, I'm not seeing anything that was directed by an African-American or woman on the list here at this point, but yeah. I'm not looking that closely. I, but. I, I, I wanted to mention a list that I found um, uh, really timely, and I was really excited to dive into when it came out uh, last summer, which was the 150 Greatest Albums Made by Women uh, that NPR released yes. as well. Um, so that's certainly one uh, worth looking at that uh, that I feel like. You want to go through the top 10 of that? Sure, absolutely. <clears throat> uh, 10, Carol King's Tapestry. 9, Amy Winehouse's Back to Black. 8, Janis Joplin's Pearl. Seven Patty Smith horses, six Beyonce lemonade. That's incredible. This list came out in 2017. You know, a 2016 right. release makes a top ten. Uh, number five, uh, Super Duper Fly by Missy Elliott. Number four is I Never Loved a Man the Way I Love You by Aretha Franklin. Number three, I Put a Spell on You, Nina Simone. Uh, number two, The Miseducation of Lauren Hill. Oh, man. What a great album. <laughs> That's a great album. Uh, and number one is Blue by Joni Mitchell. Yeah. So there yeah. you go. Yeah. Yeah. Joni Mitchell goes on. Yeah, that was a, there was a, there was a lot of of course controversy about that when it came out about what didn't and didn't make it, but the fact that it was paying so much attention to women artists, I think was was kind of a big deal. And you know, one hopes that in the long term that that's going to be. Uh, more of a more of a thing with films and more of a thing with television. Um, we are seeing the first cinematographer who's a woman nominated for an Academy Award. Um, even though I'm not necessarily a big awards fan, as I've as I've complained about yeah. <laughs> at length on the podcast previously. Um, but uh, but there's always hope that things are going to continue to improve. Did you see Rose McGowan last night? By the way, on the Daily Show. No, I didn't. She has a book out called Brave where she has recounted her experiences and um, she was relating that she was doing a presentation at, I think a Barnes and Noble in Manhattan. So this would have been yesterday afternoon, possibly the day before. And she was saying that she thinks that people are sending plants in to harass her. Oh, wow. These events. So but it's, it's a very complicated thing. And, and I wish the best for her because I think she's taken on, I, I, I think, I think the title is not bragging. I think that what she's done is really of great cultural significance and it's going to take a long time for it to, to work itself out. There's some criticism that she's received from the uh, trans community. Um, but you know, she's tried to address that. Um, but you know, there's, there's, it's a very complicated thing. And, you know, I think that, I think that part of our responsibility as media critics is to understand what the possibilities of what good could happen as a result of the, the chances that she's taken with coming out with the criticism, the way that she has. That's so, interesting. Yeah. Uh, one more point on celebrity big brother. Okay. <laughs> While it probably has never, you've never intersected with big brother or any of its uh, spinoffs before, I have a feeling that Amarosa being in a house <laughs> is going to make the news. 
Um, I there's got to be something come out. So you've never heard about it before, but I'm gonna I'm gonna call my shot now and say there will be some big headline where Amarosa tells some story, right? And then the and then Trump's gonna tweet about it, and then we're gonna have this whole is it is it true or is it not yeah. based off of some statement that she makes. In the Big Brother house. Well, reality television is his candy land, right? That's I mean, right. That's, that's yeah. his secret well, kingdom. And celebrity reality. I mean, I mean, the, you know, The Apprentice basically got canned, but Celebrity Apprentice was actually, um, you know, uh, really popular. Yeah. Uh, and so I think, I think, in fact, at least one person on this cast, if not multiple people on the cast, have ha- had done Celebrity Big uh, Celebrity Apprentice at some point. Well, so. here's as close as I've gotten to Big Brother, which is, and this is, you know, again, this is a story that. Are, kind of ventures a little bit on pretentiousness, but um, I was watching the 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 Ur version, the British version of Big Brother. Oh yeah, Big Brother UK, <clears throat> and they have yeah Big Brother UK, and so they have, of course they don't call it Big Brother UK in the UK, but they have they, in, they have the I don't know because I think, I think it was before <laughs> maybe they do maybe I'm wrong about that, I, but I wasn't watching the titles. I was watching I, I hit the red button, which is something they used to have on there. I think they still have it where you can watch the you know basically alternate the sub channels. Yeah, the, and it was. God, it was like twelve thirty, one o'clock in the morning, and there were no, 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 it wasn't. It was in the middle of the day because there were they were running a stream of people who were laying by the pool and having a conversation. Mm-hmm. And I think I was eating lunch or something, and I was kind of only halfway paying attention to what was going on. And there was nothing to pay attention. There was nothing going on. <laughs> it was just like nothing, right? It'd be like it's, it was a, it was really surveillance video. Yeah, you know, it would cut to a different it's angle of a very camera. Voyeuristic. Nothing happening. Yeah, but not. I mean, I always think of voyeurism as you're in the position of seeing things that you're not supposed to see, right? Sure. Which it is. There's a little sure. bit of that, the fourth wall thing and all that, but. But there's also like desire, right? You want to see these things you're not supposed to be seeing. And, you know, I mean, I sat there kind of awestruck for 20 minutes or something that's saying, wow, this is television now. Yeah. This is that's it. Yeah. That's, that's, how, that's how it's done. Um, I, I think what's most fascinating about it is, is, so I've been in situations before where I am taking, I'm taken out of my normal living element, right? Like uh, traveling a lot or what have you, in which... My my, I, I feel like I sort of devolve, you know, based off of my diet and my habits and all that. Um, and that's what you see a lot in Big Brother is that you're, you're stuck in a house and you won't get this enough within Celebrity Big Brother because they're only really there for, I guess, 18 days is the season. But they're they're technically already in the house playing right now. So maybe they're there for about a month. Um, but to watch people basically be deprived of like leaving a house or eating food, you know, all the food in which they, they want to eat their normal diet or whatever, uh, or just, or this, the simple fact of having privacy or being paranoid 24 seven, you know, that like it, 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 it's not like you're, you're watching from a camera from the live feeds, this actual person 24 seven, like you're watching it, you know, who, who they become after being stuck in a confined space with Mm -hmm. cameras on. So it's kind of like having kids. (laughs) <laughs> you're, <laughs> where you're, you know, it's just longer and slower, yeah. right? Watching them, watching them slowly until the point where if you've done your job, they want out yeah. completely as much as they possibly can. Yeah. It's amazing. I'm, let me add one other thing here, just a little, a little footnote as we were talking about top 10 lists. Um, I was just looking at the Rotten Tomatoes top horror films. And mm. you know how in the top 100 list I said there's, you know, it's very narrow representation of people. So here's the top 10 horror films in Rotten Tomatoes. Number 10, Frankenstein, directed by James Whale. 
who's a you know proud participating member in the LGBT community. Number nine is Babadook, directed by an Australian woman. Uh, number eight, uh, Rosemary's Baby, directed by what's arguably a sexual predator. Uh, Bride of Frankenstein, number seven, also James Whale. Number six, King Kong. Number five, Repulsion, another Polanski film. Uh, number four, Nosferatu. Number three, Psycho. Number two, Cadmus Duck Caligari. And number one, mm, Carrie. Get Out. Ah, yeah, yeah, get it. And on, on, and get out, directed by Jordan Peele. Yeah. And happy Black History Month. Here we are. There you go. I feel like I feel like we hit every every uh, possible sector of pop culture just then. We we went from one end of the spectrum to the other. I think right? yeah. I think that's the right thing to do. The 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 Google graphic yesterday was uh, was uh, Carter G. Woodson, the historian. And so I actually instantly stuck that into a, a quiz that I was giving. I said, bonus points if you can say who ah. this is. And, of course, not anybody in the room knew who it was. I said, well, if you can email me who it was by midnight tonight, I'll give you the points. So I, 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 I pressured kind. them into yeah. going and looking up yeah. who this person was. And he's a very important black, uh, black historian, black American historian. So Yeah. Well, good. All right. I think hey, we got something for everybody today. I think so. I think it was the Grand Buffet. Highbrow, lowbrow. Yes. And so if, if there if you have any lists, by the way, of either films or music that you think are worth paying attention to because of how they categorize things, by all means, uh, share it with us and we can share it with the audience for the podcast here. Um, I think it's always interesting. Uh, I think lists are in some ways, particularly if they're you know, generated from some kind of like uh, alternate universe or, or in many ways more interesting than awards because we all know who picks the awards and kind of what's going to make it. Whereas, you know, if somebody comes up with a list that's based on like the NPR list, which I thought was an amazing thing. Um, those are, I think always worth looking at and considering, and they can help to make our media diet a little bit richer. Yeah. And uh, we, we did all this without talking about the Grammys, which is uh, pretty impressive. Uh, we saw the, uh, the, the, this year, the trending hashtag uh, was Grammy. So male, uh, because ninety percent of the nominations for the Grammys Grammys uh, were male artists, um, and Lord, the only female to be up for the the album of the year, uh, was the only person also not giving a solo performance um, at at the Grammy. So that's something in which uh, we won't dive into. Um, but yet, you know, just another notch in the belt of what is 2017, 2018. Um, so, uh, so we'll, we'll see what ends up happening, but I know that they have, uh, they've asked the, uh, the head of the, the Grammys to, to step down after his, his comment, which when they asked him, you know, being critical of why it was 90% males, um, he said, well, you know, women need to step up. Oh, you're kidding. I'm dead serious. <laughs> So there you go. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's it. Yep. See you next week. Thanks. Thanks.